life. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days, all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I shall feast at the table spread for me. Good evening. We're going to have some fun tonight, I think. Go to 2 Samuel, if you will, chapter 23. Just want to go through a couple of verses here and, and um, share some thoughts from them. In 2 Samuel 23, starting with verse 8. You have a list or a catalog of David's mighty men. That's what the Bible says. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had. So he had some faithful men. They were counted as mighty men. These were men who came alongside David when things weren't going well. They came alongside David when uh, he was people. He was regarded as a rebel. He was an outlaw. He was somebody that shouldn't be talked to. If you wanted to be have any voice at all in the nation, he was not popular. In fact, Saul was trying to do away with him. And here come these mighty men who stepped up to the plate, stayed with David and were faithful right through. Mighty men. I want to talk about one of them in just a minute. Let's pray. Father, help us to be faithful. Encourage us in faithfulness. Help us to remember that the victory comes from you. And help us, Lord, to remember that what we do does have an impact on other people. We ask that you'll open our eyes and, Lord, give us understanding. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, if you can be a person like these mighty men who can stand by and be faithful when it looks like everything is failing, I think God will bless you for that. I think that true glory comes from being faithful when it's not popular to be faithful. When it would be easier to go another way. And that's what these men did that followed David. And they took risk. They took, uh, uh, they were, their life was threatened. It was not an easy run for them. And uh, there came a day when David came to the throne. And I'm sure that these men kind of rejoiced a little bit. They were kind of glad. They were, I think if it had been me, I'd been kind of excited. 
You know, all that time out in the wilderness, all that time living in the wilds, all that time camping out, and here we are. We're in the palace. And our man's on the throne. That'd be an exciting day, wouldn't it? Let me read you what C.H. Spurgeon says. He says, Brethren, we do not ourselves aspire to be numbered with the warlike. The roll of battle does not contain our names. And we do not wish that it should. But, he says, there is a role which is now being made up. A role of heroes who do and dare for Christ. Who go without the camp and take up his reproach. And with confidence in God contend earnestly for the faith once delivered to the saints. And they venture all for Jesus Christ. And there will come a day when it will be infinitely more honorable to find one's name in the lowest place in this list of Christ's faithful disciples than to be numbered with princes and kings. Tremendous. It's a blessed person who knows how to cast his lot in with the Lord and say, I am here and I'm going to stay faithful and I'm going to be a faithful man until you take me home or you come for me. Either way. There's some lessons here I want to learn. Let me read of one individual. Verse 9. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo. Now, just in case you're wondering, that's, what, that's how you say that. If I call my kid a Dodo, he gets upset. You know? I mean, but this is really this guy's name. I, I, even, I, I have a pronunciation thing in my computer now, so I can click on it, and it, that's what it says, Dodo. Okay? Uh, the Ahoite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle and the men of Israel were gone away. Now I'll tell you what the New King James Version reads there. The men of Israel were gone away. It, it reads the men of Israel had retreated. That means everybody else had run. He was standing all alone. It says but he arose and he smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave unto the sword and the Lord and, and, and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary. Excuse me, I'm reading that again. And his hand clave unto the sword and the Lord wrought a great victory that day and the people returned after him to the spoil. Now, the NIV reads that last phrase. The troops returned to Eliezer, but only to strip the dead, <laughs> to take up the spoils. So a few lessons I want to learn. One, the power of individual energy. The Philistines came to battle, and uh, the Israelites came out. And at sea, it seems like they, they were coming to battle. And then all of a sudden, in the record of God's word, it says, the men of Israel were gone away. The men of Israel retreated. Everybody ran. But Eliezer, however, made up for the failure of his countrymen, for he arose and smote the Philistines. Huh. Isn't that something?
He, he was a man who knew his God, who knew himself, who knew his job. He kind of reminds you of David who faced the giant. He was not afraid of the Philistines. And uh, so he thought for himself. He acted for himself. He didn't let what others were doing determine what he was going to do. And when they arose and fled, he arose and smote. You know, there's a lesson there, isn't there? The obligation of each and every one of us to be faithful, to take our stand for Jesus. We used to sing the chorus, if you take your stand for Jesus, take your stand. You know, let's not play games. In fact, when you get baptized, that's what you're doing. You're taking a stand for the Lord. And uh, you, nobody else can do it for you. You have to do it. No proxies in baptism. It has to be you. You are taking your own personal stand. And when you make a profession of faith, that's what you do. But the Christian life is like that. You have to take your stand no matter what anyone or everyone else is doing. If no one's getting baptized and the Bible teaches that you're supposed to, then you must get baptized. No one can pray for you but you. Not even the preacher. Not even the priest. What I'm talking about here is your personal responsibility to pray. I can pray for you, but that's not what we're talking about here. Nobody can read the Bible for you. You have to read it yourself. Nobody can establish communion between you and God. You have to do it yourself. Nobody can obey the Lord for you. You have to do it yourself. We all have to do that. See, religion, true religion, is a personal thing. Doesn't matter if you have one talent or ten, you are equally responsible before God to be obedient. And you will give an account. And Eliezer said, huh, I better do the right thing. I don't care what others do. I don't care what others say. I am going to do the right thing. I don't read where he spent time criticizing the other group. I don't read where he said, look at them other fellas, they're all chicken. That just, you know, and they, I mean, he could have got into a really self-pity party or do a lot of criticizing of whatever one else was doing. He could have been shouting at them and yelling at them and chasing them down the road and saying, come on back. That's not what he did. They were responsible for their activity. He was responsible for his. He just, on his own, went and faced the enemy. Isn't that awesome? All by himself. And one writer says he hewed and hacked away with all his might. <laughs> you know what? Whatever he did, it worked. And we can learn a lesson. Never forget that our responsibility, my responsibility, your responsibility begins and ends with you. That's how it is. It's so easy to pick on other people's work. It is far more profitable for you to do better work yourself. I think we have to be careful that we don't be pointing our fingers at people. You know, uh, one writer said, is there a fool in all the world that cannot criticize. Said another way, he said, any fool can criticize. 
you know. And then he said, those who faithfully serve the Lord are one in a thousand compared with those who find fault with others. Wow. I think, I think Eliezer was, a, was one in a thousand. If you're wise, you'll not spend your time complaining. You'll not spend your time talking about the lack of others. Instead, you'll do like Eliezer did and go get some Philistines. Go tackle something. Go tackle a job. Go tackle someone. It's so easy to come in here, say, on a Sunday night and say, look at all these people not here. And the truth is, that's, uh, that's almost doublespeak. That's a contradictory statement. Because you can't see all the people that are not here, so you can't say, look at all these people who are not here. But we have a tendency to do that. Instead of realizing that between me and the Lord, if nobody shows up, I'll be there. If nobody shows up, I'll be there. I remember when I started preaching at Port Sandlack Baptist Church. It didn't happen very often, but once in a while, the only people I preached to was my family. They the only ones that showed up. I don't know how they stood it, but they did. They all sat right there. My wife hasn't moved in 40, 30 years. But, but they all sat right there. And I, I just, I preached anyway because it was church time and we were there and it was time to be there and, and they were supposed to do their thing and I was supposed to do my thing and it's called responsibility. So the first lesson that we have there as, as we look at it is the power of individual energy. One person being responsible and faithful can accomplish much. We don't need the army. Okay? The second lesson is the reality of personal weakness. This, uh, this man, though he rose and he fought and he smote the Philistines, was only a man. So how long did he fight? He fought until his hand was weary. I, I don't want to read too much into this, but it almost seems like he'd met his limit. You know, sometimes we Christians get weary don't we? In the work of the Lord. We get weary in the work, not of the work. I was talking to another preacher years ago, and we talked about Monday was the preacher's weekly quits day. Well, I've gotten over that. But still, there are times when you get weary in the work. Whether you're teaching a class or you're taking care of children's church or you're uh, in charge of, of cleaning things up or you're working in pioneer clubs or with the youth. Whatever you're doing, you get weary in the work. That's normal. Don't give up. Don't quit. No, don't, don't do that. Because you're just like Eliezer. And Eliezer's quite a winner, I'll tell you. He just got weary. Sometimes we wish we could serve the Lord day and night. You know, I think about in, in our little church, compared to the people in this community, and we see some folks get saved, and it's kind of exciting. But just drive around here. I mean, there's, you know, there's not just this little subdivision. They're all over the place. There's people everywhere. 
we have traffic jams in Linden. We have traffic jams in Fenton. Can you believe that? Why? Because of people, people, people. And what are we doing? We could almost get discouraged and say, why, why keep going? How, what are we among so many? Except that we're just going to keep going because God called us to do it. He wants us to do it. And then once in a while I read about or hear about, and I hear of more and more of them, these megachurches. I mean, huge, giant churches. Churches that have 15,000 come to worship on a given weekend. They can't all get in there at once. But 5,000 is, is not a megachurch anymore. At least, it needs to be at least 10. Charles Stanley has one. I mean, and, and, and there's not just a few. Of, there's a lot of them. And I think, man, these mega churches, you can go to them. And, and if, if you like to wear purple, blue jeans, they got a group you can get with. They wear purple, blue jeans so you'll fit. And you'll be comfortable. And, and they're doing a job, a lot of them, for the Lord. And then people come here and, 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 and we don't have all that stuff to offer. We're just not big enough. Sometimes you think, well, what are we? Well, we're faithful, doing what God called us to do right here. I don't care if this church becomes a mega church. Either way, I want it to do what God wants it to do. Don't you? I want to be able to accomplish God's purposes. And if it means slaying a thousand Philistines, then let's do it. If it means slaying one, then let's do it. Let's just do our thing. I wonder if Eliezer became weary because of the task. So many Philistines. So many Philistines. I mean, here they come. There was a time when Samson was slaying the Philistines, and the Bible says it like this. He slew heaps upon heaps and smote Philistines hip and thigh with a great slaughter. And they kept coming at him and coming at him. You know, they, the, the, the front line goes down and here they come. And here's Eliezer with his sword doing a job. Getting perhaps weary because the task was so big. Or maybe, and this would make you and I get weary. Maybe he got weary and tired because nobody was helping him. Isn't it great when there's two of you? I mean, when you take on a task and there's two of you, you got, you're side by side, you encourage one another, and then if there's three of you that know what they're doing and are committed, then it's even better. And if there's four, and if there's five, and if you have a hundred that are committed and really mean business, it's kind of exciting. But sometimes it's just you all alone. And I think you might get weary. But I noticed something. We know he won. So it appears that if he got weary, and he did, the Bible says he did, he, was, he got weary when he could afford to get weary. First he won. And then at that point he realized he was weary. You ever notice that if you're really committed to the Lord and you're doing a job and, and you, you're really working hard and, 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 and you're seeking to please him and it seems like you just can't take another step and finally you get it done and then you can drop dead. Sometimes that's how it works. 
I remember telling Jeff when he was running track, Jeff, when you get to the end, when you get to the line, to cross the finish line, I said, you don't have to have one ounce of energy left. Just drop dead. But make sure you give it all you got until then. Well, in the Christian life sometimes, it's like we're giving it all we got. We don't know how we can keep going, but the Lord knows. You see. I want to talk to you a little bit about the application of personal energy. The reality of personal weakness, the application of personal energy. The Bible says, his hand clave to the sword. His hand uh, froze to the sword. It froze there. His hand welded to the sword. I heard Dr. Odom talk about this one time, and he said the blood and the muscle and the skin tissue and the metal all became one. It was just there in his hand. At this point, not only did Eliezer have hold of the sword, but the sword had hold of him. The cleaving of the sword speaks to me of a man who was committed to the task. Now, when it comes to this life, we got to hold things loosely. But when it comes to serving the Lord, we need to take hold of the sword with all of our might. You know, sometimes we see people get saved and it seems like they don't grab on. We, I use the term they don't take ownership. They don't grab on to the sword. I wish more believers especially new ones, would grab hold of the gospel and say, I'm not letting go for nothing. I got hold of this thing, and I'm going to hang on, I'm going to hang on, I'm going to hang on until I know that it's hanging on to me. I am not going to let go. A missionary said one day, there are numbers of revival converts who will never be worth anything until they are converted again. He was talking about they're saved, but they are not committed. They're not grabbing hold of the Lord. You know, in their life, it seems like uh, the Bible doesn't mean so much to them. It seems like the, Christ the Christian life doesn't mean so much to them. I'm going to tell you something. In the Christian life, I believe that if you want much out of it, you have to put much into it. You can't just sit in a chair or sit in your recliner, as we have them today, or sit in your seat here in the church and say, okay, Lord, bless me. The more you put into it, the more you will get out of it. The more you grab hold of the sword, the more the sword will hold you. And when Eliezer grabbed the sword, he hung on. He not only grabbed it, but he hung on. And he never let go till the job was done. You know, it's kind of a privilege to watch some people get saved. And, and, and some believers, maybe they've been saved for a while. And then they finally say, you know, I'm going to get serious about this. And so they, they latch on. They take up ownership. They become responsible. They lay hold of the sword. You know, I can't tell you the day that I really laid hold of the sword. Well, I can, sort of. 
Because it's not a one-time deal. It's a commitment over and over again. But I remember the first time I did that and said, Lord, I am committing 100% to you. I was 23 years old, married, and uh, just committed my life to the Lord in my pastor's study. And then I want you to learn this lesson, the secret of personal victory. Now, here's what it says. His hand clave unto the sword, and he wrought a great victory that day. That is not what it says, is it? It says, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day. You want to know how to win in a Christian life? It's just, it, it, it's kind of neat. It's, it's simple. It wasn't that Eliezer did nothing. It wasn't that he did everything. It was that he exercised faith and obedience, and the Lord brought about the victory. That's so simple. The victory was not won without him, and yet was not won by him, but by the Lord. So what's the secret of personal victory? Faith and obedience and God's power. They all work together. First I believe it, then I act upon it, and God gives the victory. Whether it's conquering sin, or being a witness, or having a ministry, or standing up on the job, or standing up for that which is right, the whole idea is you take the word of God, exercise faith, believe it, act upon it, and God gives the victory. You know, when you see somebody get saved, it's God's victory every time. God just wants us to believe him and obey him. Just one more thing, the impact of personal effort. It says the people, that is the army, returned after him only to spoil or the NIV reads like this, the troops returned to Eliezer, but only to strip the dead. You know, um, a lot of us, if we were in his shoes, would have some words for those people who, tang, who came in to pick up the spoils. And they probably wouldn't be kind words at all. I don't think he did that. I think he understood something that's very important. And that is this. If the Lord makes you strong in front of a weak believer, perhaps they will gather courage from your strength. Remember, they ran before. But after he had done what he did, then they were not afraid to come up there. Spurgeon says this awesome statement. It's worth writing down. He says, they may not have been able to look a live Philistine in the face, but they knew how to strip a dead one. <laughs> you know, it's not a small thing to encourage other believers, even when they're down. I have seen one faithful, uh, with faith, believing, obedient believer have an impact on many others. And has this person perhaps has led others to accomplish much. Church history is like a roll call 
of people who made a difference for God. But it's not the multitude. It's one here and one there and one there. And they made a difference for God. And they didn't complain about what somebody else wasn't doing. They didn't complain when somebody else was able to, to maybe ride on their coat tails. They just made a difference for God. Never hesitate to make a difference for God. When God blesses you, I think you have and I have a personal obligation to share it with others. You know, we just need some leaders, some people who stand up. Sankey wrote this hymn, and we used to sing it when we were kids, and I haven't heard it sung in quite a while, but it's this. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have a purpose firm. Dare to make it known. Now, what I want to do is just leave you with one thought, and it's kind of a scary thought. If it's true that when a person gets hold of a sword and grips it fast and holds it for a long time, that after a while he cannot drop it. His hand claved to the sword. Has it, have you ever thought about it this way? When a person grabs hold of sin and hangs on to it and keeps hanging on to it and hangs on to it for a long time, it's possible you cannot let that thing go. Your hand will clave to it. There are people without Christ if that's what they're hanging on to. There are Christians who cannot function for God because they're hanging on to something. And it seems to me that the tighter they hold it, the more it's going to hold them. Okay? Why don't you stand with me? Eliezer, the man who held the sword until the sword held him, and God wrought a great victory that day. Okay? We're just going to pray and be dismissed tonight. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, this uh, word picture, this example, this illustration. Lord, I pray that we might determine to stand for you, to trust you, to believe you, to obey you, and that we might all have the privilege of watching you work a great victory in our lives over and over again. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.